This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining me here today. Well, we have a real treat for you today. I remember about five years ago heading into my very first homeschool conference, and one of the booths that I stopped by was the Maestro Classics booth. There, I think I picked up a copy of Peter and the Wolf. It's hard for me to remember because now we have so many Maestro Classics CDs that we enjoy as a family. My children love the various titles that we have in our collection. And so I was really delighted to get to talk to Bonnie Simon today from Maestro Classics. We're having a chat about the role of classical music and delight in classical music and how we can introduce it to our children in morning time. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation, so we'll get right on with it. Bonnie Simon has a deep love of classical music that started in childhood and has lasted a lifetime. She has degrees in both music and music education and has experience as a teacher, a concert producer, and as an orchestra executive. Bonnie is the former executive director of the Washington Chamber Symphony at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., where alongside her husband, Stephen, she created the Chamber Symphony Concerts for Young People series. Bonnie and Stephen went on to produce Maestro Classics Stories in Music series, CDs to help families enjoy classical music together at home. These CDs featured narrated stories such as Peter and the Wolf, Swan Lake, The Tortoise and the Hare, and even Mike Mulligan and his Steam Shovel. These are accompanied by beautiful music of the symphony orchestra. Today, Bonnie continues to serve as the president of Maestro Classics and the executive producer and creative director of Stories and Music as she inspires and equips families to experience great music together. Bonnie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Pam. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I am just so excited to get to talk to you because I have to tell you that Maestro Classics CDs are a favorite here at my house. Oh, that's great to hear. We love them. We have a number of them. We have Peter and the Wolf. We have Juanita, the Spanish lobster, which is hilarious. And we also have Swan Lake as well. So a lot of favorites. Great. Well, you have three wonderful ones. And of course, there are many others that you will be able to enjoy in the future. That's true. Well, tell me, what were some of your own earliest experiences with classical music as a child? How did your love for music begin? Well, I guess I was very lucky. I remember when people asked me that question, I always remember going to sleep on Thursday nights because on Thursday nights, my parents with friends played string quartets. Mm. My father was an English professor and my mother was a biologist. But in their early 20s, they took up the violin and the cello and being somewhat compulsive, they practiced. And so by the time I came along, they were playing Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven string quartets. And on Thursday nights, we would be sent to bed and they would play. So these were, I still hear these quartets and think of those moments, low those many, many decades ago (laughs) where I was introduced with. But then there were other things that happened in our household. 
WQXR, which was the New York classical music radio station, had concerts that were broadcast live. And I think they were on Saturday afternoons. And my parents would sit and listen to them. And we were never required to listen, but we were required to be quiet. So there were real concert hall manners, even though it was happening in our living room. And we, it just wafted in and out. And sometimes we'd stay a bit, sometimes we wouldn't. And then Another experience was my father, who had taken up the violin, really loved violins. Some people rescued dogs. My father rescued violins. So he had a small collection of them. And in this collection, there also was a quarter-sized violin. And I, of course, heard him playing and I wanted to play. So I would beg him when he came home from the college to give me a violin lesson. And he very kindly did that. And that was, those were my first violin lessons. But I think the thing that sticks with me more than anything else was our experience of family orchestra. My parents, each, there were four children in my family and each of us played an instrument. And on Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving dinner, my father would announce, all right, it's time for family orchestra to begin. And he pulled out a set of Christmas carol arrangements And we each sat down and began to play these. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, every night after dinner, we sat down for, I don't know, perhaps half an hour. And we practiced or played together these Christmas carols. And then on Christmas Day, when friends and family would stop by, we would play for them. And of course, at times, I guess, we rolled our eyes thinking that, do we have to do this? But we have all sorely missed it in the years that have gone by when we haven't done this sort of thing. It was just a very nice tradition that they started. So I grew up sort of feeling that everybody played an instrument and that this was just part of life. So I was very fortunate that way. Yes, you were. Um, It's amazing that your parents like decided in their 20s, we're just going to take up playing these instruments. And they started doing it and became proficient at it, even as adults. I think that's wonderful. It was quite amazing. They have discovered now in doing studies that if you want to ward off dementia in your later years, take up an instrument. It seems to be very good for the brain. I may have to add that to my to-do list. (laughs) Well, why do you think it's important to introduce children to classical music? Because some people think of classical music as kind of stuffy. So why introduce it to kids? Well, I always say that classical music is just part of this wonderful landscape of music and that there are all kinds of music. My husband used to say, and I think he was actually quoting Duke Ellington, who said there are only two kinds of music, good and bad. And so I view classical music as being like asking your children to taste everything on their plate at dinner time. It's an experience that you want to offer them so that they know that it's out there. For some of them, they'll like it immediately. This will not be sort of all of them jumping up and down because classical music is very complicated. And so I think that you need to be careful in how you introduce it. You need to make sure that you find things that you as a parent like, because probably if you don't like it, Your child won't either. And there are a number of ways, if you're not a parent who's had experience with classical music, to go about finding things for your children. So I'll go into that in a minute if you'd like me to. Oh, I would love it. You know, it's one of those things that you just have to say, I'd like my children 
to be exposed to this because music is a very important part of life. Just as you go to museums and you go to science fairs and things, music is one of those things. Now, classical, I guess I always say there are two parts. The one part is why introduce kids? And the other is to classical music. And with children, it's very interesting. At the age of two or three, you have more synapses in your brain than you will ever have at any other time in your life. And your brain begins to slough off these connections if they're not used. So, for example, if a child hears Swedish at the age of two or three, they will be able to hear sounds that as a teenager or as an adult, they will never be able to hear. And it's simply because those synapses were used, those connections in the brain, suddenly they said, okay, can't get rid of that one. That's one we need. And so classical music is the same sort of thing that if you introduce it to children, the brain already just unconsciously is saying, okay, we need to keep that part. And now, of course, with all of the imaging that they can do with brains, they can see this going on in people's brains, that music actually makes a different part of your brain function. So doing it young is important. They've done studies where parents who have taken their children to child-parent music classes between the age of, of two and five, where you sit there and you pat your lap and you sing some singing, you know, little silly songs and play on a drum. And it seems like good entertainment. But those children at the age of five or six, if they're tested for musical ability, actually consistently show that they have more musical ability. It's almost like saying you can teach talent Hmm. through exposure, which is pretty surprising. And the other thing about kids is Anything they learn at an early age stays with them forever. So a song that they learn at five, six, or seven, they'll probably be able to sing when they're 50. So it's a a very, childhood is a very important time. And then the classical music is because it's, well, there are several ways you can look at it. You can be very pragmatic and say, this is good exercise for my child's brain. And studies have shown that this is certainly true. Or you can simply look at it and say, I want my child to hear things that are beautiful and that evoke deep emotions. And classical music is one of the ways this can happen. You know, it's interesting you were talking about them having the synapses when they're younger and and those kind of firing and them having them for the rest of their lives because you expose them at a young age. I've also found, you know, we use some of the maestro classics, which are the fun stories and things of that nature. And then also we've just listened to music. And it's something my kids kind of take for granted that we do because we've done it ever since they were very little. So I don't get a lot of pushback or, oh, mom, I don't like this or you know, this is too hard for me. Let's listen to this other stuff on the radio, which they like the things on the radio, but they also just take the classical music as matter of fact, too, because it's what we've always listened to. I think that that's a very good thing. And it's so important. And you're doing the right thing for them. I was very surprised the other day. I have a new puppy. And so we're going to puppy kindergarten. (laughs) And the dog trainer said, now you should put the dog in the crate two hours a day and put on classical music. And I thought, my goodness, he said they find it very calming. (laughs) And I think a lot of parents have found that a lot of classical music is calming and is nice. 
And if you play it all the time, and it sounds like you do, and you do it in the kitchen and you put it on in the car, then it's just part of life, which I think is the best way to have it. Well, you mentioned earlier that there are things that parents can do if they don't have a lot of experience themselves with classical music. So what are some tips that you have for the parent who might be feeling a little bit intimidated about this entire process? Well, Pam, it's interesting because my first family concert series that we did at the Kennedy Center, the whole philosophy was we want to educate the parent with the child at the same time. And so you'll notice on every Maestro Classic CDs, there always are tracks that really are geared to helping the parent become what I call the instant expert. So when the conductor talks about the music, he's really telling things to the parent as well as the child so that the parent can go back and say to the child, did you hear that? There was the theme that we heard in the beginning, for example, that the child might not pick up on the first listening on that track. So within Maestro Classics, there certainly is the attempt to make a a parent feel comfortable in talking about classical music, but then just for classical music in general. It's not, it doesn't sound like a very nice website, but it's a wonderful website. It's called kickassclassical.com. And they have put together 100 of the best loved pieces of classical music. And they have actually been very careful to find very good recordings of each one of these. And if you go through, they have samples on it. So you can listen to a little bit of everything from Beethoven's Fifth to Handel's Water Music to something by Samuel Barber. And they'll give you a 30 or 40 second clip from it. And then if you decide you want to buy that, you can go there. They have an iTunes or an Amazon button you can click and it takes you right to the website. But I suggest to parents that they go to this site and they just begin to click on things and listen to them. And when they get to something they like that seems to speak to them, then they should spend $1 and buy the track and listen to it. And in fact, I often say if you have teenagers, give them a budget of a dollar a week and say, go on this site and find anything that you like. And I guarantee that you will find something. And for some people, it will be something bombastic and loud, like Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Or you may find something like Barber's Adagio, which is overwhelmingly sad and tragic. Or you may find the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Bum, 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 you know, and that may be something where you say, oh, you know, I've heard that before. I wonder what a little more of it sounds like. So as a one-stop shopping, that's one place that I would begin. As far as younger children are concerned, I always say anything with stories is good. So there are, of course, our Maestro Classics stories and music series, but Susan Hammond created Classical Kids. And she was the first person in the late 80s to first want to introduce kids to classical music through stories. And she did a Mr. Bach Comes to Call CD and a Mr. Beethoven Lives Upstairs. And now there are about 10 or 12 of those that are out there, all of which are wonderful and great ways to introduce kids to classical music and parents at the same time. Well, I love the way that you focus on delight, like the most important thing as you're, you know, 
your criteria for choosing something to listen to is that you like it. I just love that. That's so important. I remember my husband, the conductor, saying, if you don't feel better when you leave my concert than you did when you walked in, you should have stayed home and taken a nap. <laughs> and I, I think that's something that we forget in, with classical music. It is something to delight in. Now, the delighting isn't always, you know, laughing out loud. It may be just something that's extremely beautiful. But music is entertainment. And classical music was created to be entertainment. So you need to, you really need to think about enjoying it. And perhaps if you're not enjoying it, maybe you just haven't found the right piece or the right performance for you at that time. Well, with Maestro Classics, you talk about families making new musical memories together. What do you mean by that? And why is it important? Well, I think music, which in a way is the most abstract of all art forms, you hear it and then it's gone. It's just gone. So it remains only in your head. But music is like smells. You know, have you ever walked into a place and said, this smells like my grandmother's house? Mm -hmm. And suddenly all of those memories flood back. And music has the same kind of power that you can hear something and you can remember it. And the whole experience of that comes back. And for the child, the child will remember sitting with the parent when he's 40 years old and when he has his own children or she has her own children, those childhood memories and everything that surrounds them will somehow return. And you as a parent will know that you will still be there. You may not be with us physically, but you will be with that child of yours that you spent that time with listening together. And of course, family time is important to try to preserve at this point in time where everybody has multiple TVs, and now we have iPads and cell phones, there's a tendency for everyone to go his own way and seek their own entertainment. And I feel that kids often miss a great deal by not sort of as opposed to going outward, turning back in to have shared memories with family, because it's not just listening together. It will be the other things that happen when you talk about the music or when you listen again, or when you say, oh, yes, I remember the first time I heard that, weren't we in the car going to Boston or something like that? So music is a huge part of that shared family culture that you'll have that you'll remember even as you age and the kids leave home and have their own children. Absolutely. Yes. Tell me a little bit about how the stories in music CDs are structured and how we might use them in our morning time in our homeschools. I guess that I would begin first with an overarching theme that says, don't view music as a subject, but rather view it as educational entertainment. So if you take, for example, the Mike Mulligan CD, you have a story with music. That's something which you should simply listen to with your child. And you may find your child wants to listen to it over and over. I actually had a parent come up to me at a homeschool conference and say, I have to buy another one of these CDs. My son actually listened to it so many times that he wore it out. So that should just be step one. Then you will discover that I guess your 
two or three-year-old may just sit there and listen to the music. He may not understand the story. Your five, six, seven-year-old will certainly understand the story. And I would stop there if it's the morning. And then the next day, or maybe after you listen to it a couple of times, I would go to track three, where there's the Mike Mulligan song. And it's a new song to listen. It's something to sing. It's based on the music that you heard in the original story. And then if you find you have a child who you need to take a break from math or something, and you're working with, let's say, more than one child, you can take your older child and say, go to the Maestro Classics website, click on Mike Mulligan, go to math. And when he clicks there, he'll find a whole range of math activities that center around Mike Mulligan and his adventures. You know, how many men would it take to dig this hole if it took a steam shovel so many days? That kind of thing. Then you can listen to the track, which is always about the composer and the story, which is more of a history lesson. It's trying to surround what you've heard with some context. So if you're listening to the Handel CD, you learn about King George and you learn the fact that Handel might have been a spy. So there, it sort of makes the story more whole and more rounded. And then you listen to what the conductor has to say about it, probably on another day. And first he begins by telling you why he chose the bagpipes to be the solo instrument in the orchestra. And then he tells you what he was thinking about when it was being composed and why he chose certain songs to weave into the music and how that has a special name in music. So you begin to learn a little bit about having a musical vocabulary and learning that music doesn't just come out of a composer like sausage comes out of a machine, but actually there's a lot of structure and a lot that a composer is thinking about when he's creating the music. And then you're almost always invited to listen again to the story, sometimes with the narration and sometimes without the narration. And I like particularly the ones without the narration because it gives children a chance to form their own pictures in their minds. I mean, there is a dis- they are discovering that children are increasingly having difficulties in creating their own pictures in their imaginations because they're fed so much video. So this is a chance for a child to really just explore their own imaginations as they're thinking about this. And then finally, there's almost always a play-along or sing-along or dance-along track because kids should interact with music. That's part of the fun of music. So they are meant to be listened to over time, over many ages, in many parts. And you can put it on in the car and listen to the full hour, everything. Or you can have it just as part of your morning time as sort of a delightful interlude. And you'll be surprised at what they know at the end of it. I have had parents come up and say, I couldn't believe it. My daughter heard something on the radio and she said, that's Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. And of course, she was thrilled to have this. And the idea is that children, if they're exposed in this way, as they get older, I always say, if you have a child who's at Harvard and somebody says, a friend says, someone gave me tickets to the Boston Symphony. Do you want to come with me tonight? That the child knows enough to say what's on the program. And they say, oh, well, Handel's water music is on and something and something. And they'll say, oh, okay, I know what that is. I can do that. So it's just part of a general, well-rounded education. Oh, I love that there's 
you know, multiple reasons to listen to the piece again and again and again. You know, you have a little bit of history, you have a little bit of uh, let's move and dance, you have now let's learn about the music itself. And so there's all of these different reasons in there to kind of unpack like an onion to peel away all the pieces to this music. Yes. And enjoy it. So I love that. Right. And the idea is that both the child and the parent, although the parent, when they listen to it the first or second time, will, of course, get everything. And the child, as he listens to it or she listens to it over time, will discover how much more they get out of it after either they have gotten a little older or after they've listened to it more. Part of the beauty of classical music is that it's like a good book or a good painting. You can go back to it over and over again, over a span of years, really a lifetime. And as you reread a book a second time, maybe 10 years later, you see so much more than you did the last time. And it's the same way visiting a great painting. You go back and you just see other things in classical music is the same way. Well, let's talk about the role of story. So what you have done in many of your maestro classics is match them up. You know, some are really kind of overtly done, like with Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel or Casey at the bat. And even Peter and the wolf, you know, there's the story of Peter and the grandfather and all the birds and the wolf. But how are you tying? Why is it important for you to tie story to all of these different pieces of classical music? What role do you think story plays? Well, each of these pieces of music that's chosen is really almost what's called a tone poem. They are, the music is supposed to tell its own story, but it's very difficult for a young person to understand the story. So, for example, in The Merry Pranks of Master Till, this is Till Eulenspiegel by Richard Strauss, and it is one of the great tone poems in all of classical music. But It was written for German children, and German children all knew the stories about the naughty boy named Till. But American children don't know that. So if you don't tell them the story, they're not going to know that there's humor in the music and that the music is making fun at times and that there are jokes in the music. So having a narration with it is really like having a guide that takes their hand and takes them through the music. Something like Swan Lake was written as ballet, but of course it's a story ballet. So the story is embedded in the music, but a young person listening to that wouldn't know if somebody wasn't telling them the story as the music went along. So do you think the story adds to the richness of the music for the kids? Absolutely. Children, everyone loves stories, but particularly children love stories. So this On the first level, I would think when many children listen to these, maybe it's just the story that they hear the first time through. And maybe it won't be until the second or third time that they listen that they're going to begin to really hear the music. And over time, they will hear more and more of the music. And then in a case like Merry Pranks of Master Till, there is a track that just has the original music without any narration. And they'll listen to that and they will get it. And that's, of course, what you want. You want them to feel that they have ownership of this music because then then they have it forever and then it's theirs. And of course, when you own something, it's much more, it means more to you than if it's just passing you by. Well, 
I tell you, the Peter and the Wolf story just absolutely delighted my children. And I still have these, we did it a couple of years ago, and I have these great fond memories of them tiptoeing around the room and being sneaky and being quick and being, you know, the different sounds of the instruments in there were the different characters. And so they were kind of playing those animals based on those sounds. And it's, well, um, it's a fun memory. It is a perfect piece. Peter and the Wolf was done in the late 30s by Prokofiev, who decided that this really was the way to introduce children to classical music. And he had children of his own, so he really knew this. And I say no child should grow up without knowing Peter and the Wolf. It is the great classic. So when people come to a homeschool fair and we're standing there in front of a dozen CDs and they say, which should I have? And I say, well, if you can only buy one CD, I would buy Peter and the Wolf because your child should grow up with it. So I'm delighted to hear that your kids enjoyed it so much. They did. Well, have you ever had the experience of seeing a child respond to or connect with a particular piece of music in a way that you weren't expecting? Oh, yes. I guess I... The first one was with my own son, Basil, whom I did not allow to watch any TV for his first couple of years. And then some friends said, you're raising a freak. You have to expose him to some things. And they gave me a video, a DVD, it was, I guess it was a VHS tape in those days, of The Red Balloon, which is the great French movie, which has no talking and only video and music. And so he watched that about 200 times. And I thought, okay, enough of this. We have to move on. And so I got him the Nutcracker at video. And so he watched that again, hundreds of times it felt like. And so I thought, enough of this. We're going to finish the ballet craze now, once and for all. I will buy him Swan Lake. For sure, Swan Lake will not appeal to him. He looked at Swan Lake and he thought it was wonderful. <laughs> and so he listened to that for you know hundreds of times and continued to enjoy music. And in fact, he's in the music business now. But the other really funny one was, I guess it was several years ago, and I was sitting next to my younger son, who's in engineering, so and he was not the one who got all the music genes like his older brother did. And his father began, it was, we were at one of Stephen's concerts, and the Barber's Adagio for Strings began to be played. And he could barely sit still in his seat. And he said, Mom, Mom, I didn't know that that was a piece of classical music. And it was something, you know, he had heard in movies and probably in a video game or something. And suddenly now it was on the stage being performed by his father and his father's orchestra. And it just took on a whole new meaning for him. So you never know where these things will come up. And some kids just hear music and you wouldn't ever expect it, but they're the ones who get up and dance. And some kids are the ones who pick up a drum when they hear a Sousa march and it's the beautiful little girl who loves ballet lessons and suddenly that moves her. So you don't know what music will bring out in a child. So we just have to reach for that exposure. That's right. And watch. Well, besides listening to Maestro Classic CDs, what are some other enjoyable ways families can experience classical music together, maybe outside of our morning time? Well, the first concert experience I always suggest is an outdoor concert. And it can be an orchestra concert if you're lucky enough to live near one of the great 
um, like Tanglewood or Saratoga Springs, where major orchestras give orchestra concerts or free concerts in parks, like Central Park, the New York Philharmonic gives concerts, or if it's the town band, the local town band. But outdoor concerts are great places because it's okay to whisper. And if you have a young child, it's okay for them to bounce up and down and perhaps even walk around the picnic blanket with you. So it's a very stress-free environment to listen to music. I think concert hall family concerts are great, but I caution all parents. I say respect the age suggestions when they say five and over. You need to understand that that orchestra wants to sell every seat it possibly can. And when it says five, it really does mean five. And if you bring your extremely bright three-year-old, they're going to have a tough time probably. And you don't want to do that. You want the experience to be a good one. The other piece of advice that I often give is sometimes you will buy tickets to something and you'll just know your child has had enough at intermission. And you will not have, you will want to go back for the second half, but you should at that moment say, we've had enough for him. And if I leave now, it's going to be a great experience. And if I make this child sit through the second half, they're not going to want to come with me again. So you want to give, you want greatness in child-sized portions. And you need to respect the fact that children do appreciate greatness, but they can't sit as long as you can. So you definitely want to stop while everything is still good. Yes, that's exactly right, Pam. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me here today and talking to us about classical music and story and just how we can bring this in to enrich our lives. Could you tell everyone where they can find you online? They can find us at Maestro Classics. I always say don't be embarrassed. Many people have problems spelling Maestro. It's M-A. E-S-T-R-O. So it's maestroclassics.com. And on the website, I encourage you to explore because we have free curriculum guides that link every subject or link every CD to every subject in your curriculum. And we're very careful about testing all of the links and making sure that they are safe so that you can put a child on there and say, explore and enjoy these things and offers you many activities that you can use if you want to build around the story or the CD that you're listening to. There are also a group of articles there that are interesting for parents who want to know a little more about introducing your child to music. Great. And then the music is available there as well. And it's available on CD. And then it's also available as MP3 downloads as well. That's right. And it's also available on Amazon, should you want to go that quick and easy route. But most of all, Pam, I want to thank you for having me and thank you for sharing the importance of music with your audience, because I think it's a very joyful thing that we need to spread the word about and you're being wonderful in doing it. Oh, I agree. Well, thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. Now, the basket bonus for today's episode is Bonnie's quick guide to introducing your children to classical music. On there, you'll find some questions you can ask yourself and some developmentally appropriate activities that you can do with your kids at various ages to start building 
that love for music that we want to have in our kids, in our homes, in our morning time. So you can find that in the show notes for this episode of the podcast, along with all of the links and resources that Bonnie and I chatted about today, including a link to the Maestro Classics website. And you can find that at edsnapshots.com forward slash YMB20. Now, also in those show notes, you can find instructions for how to leave a rating or review for the Your Morning Basket podcast on iTunes. The ratings and reviews you leave on iTunes help us get word out about the podcast to other listeners. And we really appreciate everyone who has taken the time to do that for us. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another great interview, some more information to help you build your morning time. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day. Bye.